Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode number 10 of The Narrative. For this episode, instead of the regular intro music, please enjoy this full-length song, Step, from Yacht Rock Review's recent album, Hot Dads in Tight Jeans, featuring the vocal smoothness of my guest, Nicholas Nespajani.
Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that. I'm your host, Jeff Gallett. I'm so happy that you found the podcast. If this is your first listen, I encourage you to subscribe and to give us a review. I find storytelling interesting, and I find the storytellers themselves fascinating. So the idea behind this podcast is to meet people who are great storytellers and to get to know them. I'm really pleased that Nicholas Nespajani is joining me for this episode. Nick is one of the founders and frontmen of the wildly successful band Yacht Rock Review, a band that literally created its own genre, Yacht Rock, and even owns the trademark that proves it. They've risen from humble beginnings in a basement all the way to headlining shows all over the country in partnership with Live Nation and Sirius XM. Their own official band biography is so awesome, I decided to just read it to you here instead of trying to write something more compelling. Yacht Rock Review began in the least yachtiest of states, 2,000 miles from breezy Marina del Rey. Nez Pajani and Pete Olson met in the fourth grade in suburban Indiana, then went on to Indiana University in the late 90s, formed the band YOU, and then escaped, Rupert Holmes' reference intended, to Atlanta. One night, YOU tucked their tongues deep in their cheeks and played a show of Yacht Rock songs. The Rowdy, which is a nicer way of saying drunk, sold-out crowd loved it. Over the years, YRR, where there's also a Dave, a Greg, and literally three guys named Mark, have turned themselves into human wine spritzers, playing 120 to 150 shows a year, mastering Yacht Rock slick chords and mellow grooves, and partying like it's 1979. What began as a joke among friends soon put a ripple in the zeitgeist, starting a national trend through YRR's concerts, which have been lauded as unabashedly joyous affairs by Entertainment Weekly. They've accumulated an extensive wardrobe of white belts and polyester shirts. Today, Yacht Rock Review is revered, and they're well compensated. Their life is like a tenor sax solo. This is what every musician wants. Now that's storytelling. I think you'll find Nick as fascinating as I do. So Nick, thanks for uh, joining me on the on the narrative today. Really appreciate you being here. My pleasure. I uh, it's 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 an interesting thing. So, and I want to dig into this a little bit. But I um I got invited by friends to go see Yacht Rock Review a few years ago, and I think you've I've seen you guys five or six times now. But when the when we first went, we didn't know much about it. We we just had we'd heard the name. We live in Atlanta. I'm not there right now. I'm at our other house and down at the beach. So it's a it's a nice beachy vibe for me to do this with you today. It's perfect. Um, but we hadn't really heard anything. And then we went to the show and it was we were blown away, just completely blown away, which is why we've come back so many times. Um, but what was really interesting about it for me is that it's like a generation of music that skipped me. I, I'm older than you are, but I was into, you know, I grew up in the 70s and I grew up with, um, you know, Springsteen and U2 and the you know, Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd. And my wife didn't. She's a little bit younger. And she used to say to me all the time things like, hey, let's listen to the Pina Colada song. And I'm like, the what? I have no idea what these things are. And then you guys exposed me to it. And now I kind of hear it all the time, which is interesting. So it's an interesting thing that a whole generation of music that I just got skipped or that skipped me that you guys have exposed me to. Well, so first of all, I was much like you, like, you know, when I learned to play guitar in the 90s, it was all Soundgarden and Nirvana and Pearl Jam. 
and then we would go back and get into Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin and all that kind of stuff. And I only remember this stuff for this music from from the uh, from the dentist office, you know, uh, as a kid. And then I feel like it fell totally out of vogue from probably like the 90s until about 2005, seven, eight, somewhere around when we started doing it. Like you didn't hear it anywhere. You didn't yeah. hear it in the you didn't hear it at the dentist office. Yeah. And then it's come back with a vengeance to where I feel like it is probably the most popular genre of music in public spaces right now. And yeah. it has been for like the past 10 years. It's wild. And it, it's interesting because I, when I look at it, I think, um, so you mentioned your background and where, what you came up with. Like I, I've read some of this stuff, but I don't know that my listeners ever have. Like, how did you get there? Like what, how did this happen? Like, I know you guys were all, studio musicians and you had these goals and dreams but help my listeners understand like how did you go from being the guy that listened to Soundgarden into the guy that's now performing as the front man of a of a yacht rock band by pure accident and it was definitely kicking and screaming at first it was not my <laughs> choice of what i wanted to do we were doing every thursday night at this club in atlanta called the 10 high the basement down there below the Dark Horse Tavern in Virginia Highlands. And they gave us, they said, you can do anything you want, just every Thursday. You know, it was just a pretty cool thing, you know, pretty unprecedented, especially a good night like Thursday. So we were doing our original band, Y.O.U. We were doing Nights of All Soul music with the horn section. We were doing, you know, Tom Petty versus Bob Seger. We were, we were doing comedy nights. We were just trying everything. And then one night we did um, what we were going to call 70s AM Gold, and then about a month and a half, you know, and it took some rehearsing to figure all this stuff out the first time. And we put together these, these, this band of musicians that we knew who were just all killer players. And um, a couple months, month and a half before the show, we found this video series online called Yacht Rock. And it was the uh, comedic misadventures of Kenny Loggins and Michael McDonald and Christopher Cross. And we said, you know, this is perfect. Let's call it Yacht Rock. And the the first show sold out and then the next show sold out and next thing you know we're doing it every thursday and it just kind of snowballed from there i think a lot of tribute bands or cover bands the guys get together and they're like okay we want to make some money let's form a tribute band and you know they their whole vector is is determined by that idea of forming a band and making money whereas we did it on accident and kind of reluctantly at first got into it which i think is part of the secret sauce mm-hmm. we do you know if we had there are other bands out there who do this yacht rock thing who are very uh crassly commercial about it and it doesn't feel it doesn't have the same sense of authenticity or heart that i think that our band does because of the the journey that it's taken us to get there is interesting. You mentioned the the musicianship. It's one of the things that stands out to me, having having seen you guys a bunch of times, is how great a musician everybody in the band is. And I think, in my mind, certainly not an expert. I can't play an instrument. I can't read music. I can't sing at all. I'm the world's worst singer. But I love music, and I I think that in my mind, cover bands oftentimes are people that aren't that good. Where I think with you guys, and I don't know if the term cover band is the right term. I mean, you cover other people's music, but you're a lot more than a cover band because everybody is such great musicians in the band, at least from my perspective. 
we'd like to think of ourselves that way. I mean, obviously, now that we've put out our record, we're definitely in kind of a hybrid zone. But I think that, I mean, having a high opinion of myself, I always felt like we probably should have made it as an original band. And the fact that we have the level of musicianship and the attention to detail and the work ethic that we do, um, those things are pretty rare among bands that aren't playing their own music and for whatever reason that's just the way the the chips have fallen for us and we're making the the best of it and you know from it's gone from being something that was reluctant the first few years to being something that we we love now you know there's no irony or uh um anger about it at this point and then you you mentioned that you guys you brought out your your first album as a i think it's the first album as a well the first original music album as a band last year and i want to pivot to that in a second but i know how was that a difficult decision to say okay we're kind of all in now like if we're doing our own music that is in this genre that's this framed around this genre not that you're not weren't all in before but that's you're kind of saying even our original stuff is going to sound familial to this to this genre that we've chosen or that we that chose us right i mean our attitude every step of the way is, has been how far can we take this now you know from the mm -hmm. first time that we tried to headline variety playhouse and it sold out we were like wow we can't believe that we were able to sell a thousand tickets what do we do next and we we're like well we're going to go to new york and we're going to conquer new york city and we did that and then you know now we're playing amphitheaters like chastain sized places across the country and putting out our own album that's getting written up in rolling stone and entertainment weekly and like every step of the way we're like okay, well, what can we do that would be even more ridiculous now? Why not? Why not us? You know, no one has ever really done what we're doing, uh, ex with the exception of there's a band called Steel Panther that um, was kind of like the heavy metal version of Yacht Rock where they were doing all Motley Crue and Van Halen and that like 80s hair metal kind of mm -hmm. stuff. And they put out their own album. And now when they tour, they do primarily their own stuff. But it's all still kind of shticky and comedy. Mm -hmm. uh, but they're really the only other band that's ever kind of made this pivot. Not that we're ever going to do all of our own stuff, but like I said, every step of the way, we're like, why not? Let's just try it. Have you uh, have you heard the new uh, the DG stuff that the Foo Fighters did? Have you heard about that? I have heard it, yes. So it's just interesting because I look at them and they're in a position, right? They can kind of, and certainly he can do whatever he kind of wants to, but it was pretty interesting that they almost did this pivot and said, okay, now we're going to embrace this thing that people wouldn't expect out of us, this 80s, 70s and 80s disco genre and do some songs that way. And they did them really well, but. Right. I, I love Dave Grohl's uh, enthusiasm and commitment to anything that he does, like the energy that he brings is something that I really look up to and something that we try to do at our shows, you know, like we're playing these soft rock songs and, you know, you know, you could certainly like limp your way through a Christopher Cross song and no one would bat an eyelash. But if you bring the same intensity and inner energy to sailing that you would bring if you were playing Highway to Hell you know, that's a different vibe. And that's, yeah. that's kind of what we try to do. Yeah. I mean, I, we went to the, uh, to the last Christmas, show so i guess it would have been 2019 so there wasn't one last year and i we were right up against this we were like second row get right against the stage and i turned around at one point and just looked back in the roxy at i don't know what it seats four or five thousand people every one of them was singing along like everybody was singing along it was pretty cool it was the, the participatory nature in fact we um 
since we got introduced this way, when whenever there's a show coming up, we buy extra tickets and invite somebody who hasn't gone. So for the Chastain show coming up, we bought them last year, obviously, but um, we just sent out an invite to some friends the other day and they'd never heard of Yacht Rock Review. And he said, so what are they like? And I, I sat through and thought, you know, picked my brain and the word I can come up with is fun. Like the first word that came out of my mouth is just fun. Like you may not even think you like this kind of music, but I guarantee you, you're going to have fun at this show, which is a pretty cool thing because I don't know that a lot of other bands and other shows you go to, that's the first thing you think of is I'm going to go here and have fun. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's exactly it, right? Like, and that's something that we've tried to keep as our North Star when we're designing our show or when we're thinking about what we're going to do with our next album or when we're thinking about how we're going to approach our presence on on social media it's always centered around like that feeling of escape and release and having a good time um because that's really one of the central functions of music in our lives yeah. right yeah. why we listen to music and why we want to go to concerts and have that feeling together cool so going back to the to the band and how it all came together how it all happened the how did you guys all meet i know i think you and peter knew each other for a long time but how did how did you connect with the rest of the guys who now make up and women who make up the, the band yeah we were on um well peter and i met in fourth grade <laughs> in, in indiana in elementary school and we started a band in high school before either of us could even really play guitar we decided we we're going to start a band and <laughs> then we learned how to play guitar afterwards um and then i met Mark Cobb, our drummer in college, he and I were in a group called the IU Soul Review at Indiana University, and we were doing all uh, soul music from James Brown all the way up through D'Angelo. And one time I pulled him aside and I was like, hey, do you play rock music too? Because I have this rock band. And so he joined Peter and I, and then the three of us moved down to Atlanta with a couple of other guys, and we had a band called YOU that was pretty popular in Atlanta for a while. and was kind of like on the cusp of maybe getting a record deal or maybe not, but we never actually like connected for whatever reason, you know? Um, so that's kind of when this, uh, this Thursday night thing started, we had all kind of assumed we were going to head in different directions. You know, I had started going back to school for law and Peter was thinking about moving away, you know, it was all kind of splintering. And then the success of Yacht Rock brought us back, you know, together as a band and that's when we connected with um greg and dave and ben kuya and and monkey boy um and ben kuya and dave are both iu guys too so we have five uh indiana university graduates in the band that the iu music school community is really strong in any city you go to okay so when we were forming this we were you know we had already other iu guys we knew down here and they were like oh you need this guy you need that guy um and then we met Keisha um, on a corporate gig we were all doing together for Home Depot. She was brought in by the producer to be one of the backup singers. And we were like, whoa, this girl is incredible. And so we brought her in and said, you know, who else do you know that would fit our group vibe? Because I think one of the most important things about our group is that we genuinely love being around each other just in casual day-to-day -day life, which yeah. is really important. Like it's been the same guys since 2007, like zero lineup changes. Actually, that's not true. We originally had eight guys and our keyboard player, Dave originally only played sax and our other keyboard player, Brandon, um, came to us about a year in, whoa, <laughs> um, 
came to us about a year in and said, I have this opportunity to join this band, Blackberry Smoke. And we were all like, yes, man, go do that. Because Blackberry Smoke was really on the rise and still are, you know. Um, so it's, it's like totally cool with us and Brandon. Anyway, so we've had the same guys the whole time. And we knew bringing in new people would be a risk. But we already had been on this corporate gig with Keisha a few times. We knew we connected with her. We said, who else can you recommend that's going to have the same attitude the same energy the same positivity and she was like how about my daughter <laughs> courtney and courtney came in and it just gelled immediately you know um so um yeah and keisha you know saying back up for her mom and as well she also sang you know with um with outcast still does sing with big boy sometimes she sang with erica badu so we were all pretty starstruck by that being huge fans of both of those groups yeah and um yeah it's just and she just brings that that kind of heavy experience to to the group and it's nice to have someone who's who's been to the mountaintop like that singing with us yeah um speaking of mountaintops so you just this weekend at least for me like i'm the again that just the fan guy but i saw you guys played the stone pony this weekend and i just think it's like it's got such a reputation there's so much fame around the stone pony that, that had to be kind of a cool thing to, to, I know you've played a lot of venues like that, but that one had to be pretty cool to, to play at that particular venue. It was pretty epic. So it was outdoors. They have a big outdoor stage at Stone Pony that they do in the summer. And the weather was perfect and the crowd was incredible. And we, we kind of, you know, felt like we wanted to take a risk. So we uh, decided to encore with uh, Born to Run by Bruce Springsteen, which, yeah. you know, Jersey, you get, you better bring it yeah. or, you know, or not. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, we, we weren't sure if they were going to be into that, but they loved it. It was really fun. Yeah. And it's one of the things I wanted to ask you about. I know that, um, like you don't always do, at least when I've seen you guys, you don't always do like 90% is yacht rock genre, but then you'll do you know, you'll throw in Boston or you'll throw in, you know, but Bohemian Rhapsody, Born to Run. It's just, and it's, it's kind of, you know, it's generationally the same generation, but it's a very different vibe that's got to be. And, and even when you do like your Purple Rain shows and your, your Talking Heads shows, I mean, completely different genre of music, really, but you're able to execute that. And it's got to be kind of an interesting thing to pivot between those for you guys. Yeah, that kind of comes from how we started, you know, doing those Thursday nights doing, you know, we would do a Beatles night or we would do a Prince night or whatever. And so we've always had an interest in, you know, expanding the repertoire of our band as wide as we can. And in, in the same way, uh, we're very motivated to keep the definition of Yacht Rock as broad as possible. Because one of the things that enables you to be or enables us to be in this band and bring the fresh energy is that we don't have to play the same 20 or 25 songs every night. Like, you know, we've got to play Baker street in Africa, but there are literally hundreds of songs within the genre we could choose from. And when we start adding in these other songs that may or may not be yacht rock or even tangentially related to yacht rock, but they're fun as hearkening back to what you said before, it keeps us fresh. And I think the audience can feel that energy. Mm-hmm. So, so we're not interested in trying to create a strict definition around Yacht Rock because that makes uh, things less fun for us. 
So my uh, my interesting side note is I grew up in the southern in Southern California, the San Fernando Valley, and I went to elementary school and junior high school, which is now called middle school. And my first girlfriend, using air quotes, was Jolene Porcaro, whose older oh. brothers were Steve, Jeff, and Mike Porcaro. And uh, we all knew them. You know, I was 10 years old, but we all knew that their dad was a studio musician. And the part of L.A. that I grew up in, everybody was in the entertainment industry. It wasn't that big of a deal. And then, you know, later I find out there's this band called Toto and it's got Steve and, and Jeff in it. And I'm like, wow. that. And so like my exposure to there was more Rosanna and Africa, like everybody's. But it was through this prism of, huh, I kind of knew those guys' little sister way back in the day. And now, you know, I date myself. This is 45 years later. And those songs are still pretty darn popular, you know, like Weezer's doing covers of Africa, but you guys do them really well. But it's just interesting to me. I always look back on this, this little slight connection I have back in the day that I, you know, kind of knew someone in the Porcaro family. That's a cool one. Did you did you ever get to hang out with those guys at all? You know, they were a couple years older than me and, you know, I was junior high. They were way too cool for us. They They had a couple of bands that would like come and play at school events, like school dances and things back in the day that I remember seeing them. But I, I honestly, I probably met Steve. I think Steve was the one one year, he was the youngest, I think, and he was just above Jolene. I think I met Steve. I don't remember meeting Mike or Jeff at all. I mean, by the time, like I was in my early 20s, I think Jeff was already established as a pretty prominent studio drummer. I mean, he was pretty well known by then, or, you know, it happened pretty fast for him. Yeah. Yeah, those guys are all incredible musicians. Yeah, um, it was it's always interesting. Like I'm, you know, then when I went and saw you guys, I'm like, wow, they're playing songs from this group that I somehow have this bizarre connection to. Um, tell me about um, we talked touched on it a little bit, but Hot Dads and Tight Jeans, your you guys' album. I, I'd love for you to share share what that is and and what you're doing in support of that for for my listeners. Yeah, we were a couple of years ago. We. I was kind of having a midlife crisis and I was like, you know, is my daughter going to think that all I ever did with my life was sing Hall and Oates songs? Like I, uh, I wanted to like leave something that there's evidence that I was more than just a hot dad in tight jeans, which is where I actually said it randomly in an interview. And, uh, it, on television my wife was like, Oh, that thing you said, that's what she should name your album. <laughs> um, but, uh, so we talked to everybody about it. You know, we talked to our agent about it and we talked to our friends in the music business about it. Robbie Dupree, you know, and the reaction was pretty like, I don't know, you guys like, is that are we killing the golden goose here? Actually, our agent was really enthusiastic about it. But most people that we talked to were like, yeah, I don't know. And um, we just decided that we felt like we had built up enough goodwill with our fans and as long as we didn't do like a hard pivot, as long as we still kept things familiar and kind of brought some new aspects into this universe that we had created, that our fans would go along with us. And uh, their reaction has been like even better than I could have imagined or hoped. You know, like when we play, we play a couple of songs in, in the set on tour and you know, in New Jersey the other night, there were people singing along. Like I could hear them. I wear in-ear monitors, so I can't hear a lot of what's happening out in the crowd, but I could hear them singing along to Step. And I could hear them singing along to Bad Tequila and seeing people wear the Bad Tequila t-shirts. And and in Boston the other night, everybody had I Love Hot Dads, like on custom-made t-shirts in the front row. Like 
our fans have been so incredible and supportive and for us that just scratches that creative itch that we can't let go of and it's it's given us a fresh you know life in music and a fresh perspective on this band so it's been an incredible experience and it's nice to get some of those songs in my head and in my heart out there um and i look forward to doing more of it we're writing songs right now for another album and then you 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 launch the album or you drop the album you're gonna go on tour you're gonna do a bunch of stuff and then this ugly pandemic thing happens and like all the things you would normally do to support the album you couldn't do for a year right i mean that was pretty much you had all of 2020 was yeah from that perspective was a wash less than a month afterwards and you know we had scaled up our business in several ways not only the money we spent on the album and the reproducing the album and the public relations but we had also like upgraded our light rig and added a second van and trailer and added a couple more crew and we had you know really scaled things up because it felt like things were heading in that direction and they were heading in that direction um and they still are heading in that direction but it just had like an 18 month pause in the middle of it uh which was pretty tough to swallow after we had put so much into it the cool part is that that we during the pandemic did um a lot of facebook live Mm -hmm. shows and through those shows we connected to a small subset of our fan base you know it wasn't the three or four thousand people that see us in new jersey or boston but it was a few hundred people every thursday night that were coming on and we really made a special connection with those people um and they made their own group called the anchorheads and they now they have their own facebook group and they meet up at every show and they're really into the hot dads album and excited about the new music that we're working on and having that that connection with those those fans that special connection is not something that we would have otherwise had an opportunity to do yeah it's interesting before before we did the call today my wife said are you nervous about talking to nick and i was like not any more than i normally would be i said the funny part is he's going to be at the other end of a zoom i feel like i've seen that before like he hasn't seen me at this end of it but i watched a bunch of those facebook live shows and you're in your studio at home playing which had to be that was one of the things i wanted to ask you about it that had to be fun but it also had to be really hard i mean it's got to be difficult to perform in a one-way thing where you're not getting feedback from anybody it's you playing in front of a screen like we're talking now it was so difficult especially at first not getting any energy back and having to imagine that energy back and it was so strange you know when i would log off and turn and take my headphones you know my earphones out and realize that it's just me and that my neighbor next to me, you know, the next house over is probably angry at me right now. <laughs> you know, like, it's like just a dude screaming at his camera in his, uh, in his studio. So it was, uh, it was weird at first, but I got into a rhythm with it to the point where when we came back and started doing shows with the band, I had to remember how to sit. Cause you know, in my studio, I have just a microphone that you can't see. Mm-hmm picking up everything in the room so I could move without having to worry about my mic etiquette and keeping my mouth on the mic. And when we came back to perform with the band, I was like, oh yeah, I've got to keep my mouth on the mic. I got to move differently. There's a different rhythm to the performance. I'm not like reading comments right now. You know, it's it's (laughs) a totally different kind of thing. 
Um, they were really so, fun shows, though. And we watched, I saw a bunch of, I saw a bunch of yours and I saw a bunch of the ones that Peter and Alyssa did, which were, you know, the same thing. Like they're in their, they're in their kitchen sometimes with their kids running around. It was just, you know, it was so human. But I, I wanted to pivot back because I know that a lot of that you were doing, A, to stay connected to your fans, but you were also doing it out of concern for your, your staff, your crews and the staff yeah. at Venkman's. And I want to talk about Venkman's too, but, you know, just trying to help them get money when they couldn't get money because they weren't doing their, able to do their jobs. We just wanted, we had, you know, put everybody on healthcare. We had started our own healthcare plan and we put everybody on healthcare. And then this was kind of threatening that uh, possibility because we had no income, you know, and obviously there were government programs that helped us out here and there, but it wasn't, it was never for sure. And it was always by the hair of our chinny chin chin, but our fans really did like get us through and enabled us to not have to, you know, let anybody have healthcare lapse, which was the most important thing for us in a pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the fan support was just amazing and incredible. And it still like warms my heart. I mean, I talk about it at some of the shows we're doing now and like, I get a little choked up thinking about like how some of these people in the audience literally got us through to the other side. It's pretty incredible. Um, so Venkman's, um, I've been there a few times. I love it. Totally cool venue. It's amazing what you guys have done with that. The, from location but the venue itself and i think we saw we actually saw courtney and keisha do a show there and we saw a uh amy winehouse tribute that keisha was part of and then we saw you guys do an acoustic show there as a band um it's such a cool venue how you you were completely shuttered for a fair amount of time right still still totally oh, it's still shuttered yeah yeah i mean we're at a point with that i mean it's it's a it's a tough thing because the amount of debt that was built up over the course of the pandemic, it's a lot. And yeah. even with the government help that we've gotten so far and, you know, the thought of trying to reopen and enter the restaurant market right now, which is still pretty depressed mm -hmm. is, is pretty daunting and we're not sure we're going to be able to do it. Um, we're, we're hoping we're planning on it. We're working on it, but, um, you know, we've got a tour with the band, so it's not like other restaurant owners where they can just commit wholly to that thing. Yeah. And we're just trying to figure out the path forward. It's very difficult. I think that, you know, people see all these restaurants open and some of them are full and they think that the restaurant business is back and that everybody's going to be okay. But there's a lot of hidden pain on the ledgers of every single one of those places. Like yeah. no one is doing great yeah. and every, everyone is kind of on a thread hoping that that some of these government programs can provide the the relief to get us to the to the other side you know because it's not back yet yeah i can imagine I, I and i think that you know who knows what those you know variants and things happen that i'll call, you know even if you come back then are you forced to shut down again after doing all the work to reopen and it's, it's got to be challenging and like you said i can't imagine there's very many people who are in that business who do it as a bit of a part-time you know it's not you know, you're doing two full-time things or probably more than that, but, um, interesting thing. It's too bad. I, I, we really love the venue. So we're, we're rooting for it. We hope it, we're hope you're able to bring it back, but we totally understand if you can't, obviously. Fingers are crossed. If anybody out there wants to help, the way to do it is to write your senators and representatives about replenishing the restaurant revitalization fund. Yeah. Uh, it's bipartisan. It's not a Republican or Democrat thing. Um, both parties have shown interest in it. It's just a matter of whether 
it gets in you know to the final budget so uh it's really easy to do if you look up restaurant revitalization fund that's, that's great advice um has have you guys had to follow protocols at all and get in terms of going back on the road and playing in front of audiences are the audiences being asked are there are does it depend on venue to venue state to state in terms of what kind of protocols are in place for for doing live shows again it's literally changing daily um uh Luckily, you know, for us as a band, we're 100% vaccinated. Our band and crew are. So our safety is not, you know, the concern that it would be if that weren't the case. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, it feels like it's heading towards um, venues are probably, I think you'll see in the next couple of weeks, venues are going to require vaccination or a test to attend. I think that's, you know, that's already happening in New York. Mm -hmm. But our agent has been fielding calls from venues all over the country. I mean, most of our shows right now are outside, so mm-hmm. that doesn't apply to outside shows. Yeah. yeah. Um, although they did just cancel Jazz Fest down in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, but I think it's different, you know, when you talk about hundreds of thousands yeah. of people. Yeah. Really yeah. Um, but we don't have a lot of indoor shows, which we did on purpose, um, knowing that outdoors was more more safe. So, I mean, what I say now, by the time this podcast airs, might be completely out of date. Like it's so, uh, it the the environment is changing very rapidly in that regard. Yeah, I mean, it's got to feel just very much like you're you're just there's nothing you can do to control it, right? So you're just sort of you just have to go with the flow, whatever the flow happens to be at the moment that it's that it's happening. Yeah, I mean, we've we've tried to stay on the conservative side of being safe and following the most cautious route as we've gone back out on the road or when even when we did the drive-in shows um mm-hmm. the summer and fall last year um we've always tried to err on the cautious end just because we love our fans and we want everybody to be as safe as possible so we're going to continue to do that and but it's complex you know like we need to making money so we can keep everybody in healthcare this winter if things right. shut down you know, it's 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 a it's a, a complex balance that we have to strike and we're you know, having to answer tough questions about it every day. So as far as the future, you mentioned uh, you guys are starting to write another another potential new album. Um, we talked a little bit about Venkman's. What else what else is on the what else is on the future? Is there gonna be and I guess some of it's up in the air based on the conversation we were just having in terms of touring and shows and things, but you know, any other big plans you guys have? A few things. One we've got a um an all-inclusive vacation experience that we're doing in Jamaica in February with um, Robbie Dupree and Ambrosia. It's like a Yacht Rock themed four nights of concerts and days of pool shows and, you know, hiking and waterfalls and all that kind of stuff in Jamaica. It's going to be awesome. It's really fun. There are are a few rooms left, but not many. So that's, that's really cool. That's going to be a nice new way to connect with our fans in a, in, in a you know more personal and more casual kind of environment you know we've done a lot of the music cruises mm-hmm. ships are massive and we aren't big enough to do something like that yet so this land-based thing was a little more manageable for us um but we're super excited about that and then you know next summer we're planning a big tour we may have a new album by next summer i don't know the whole album cycle thing is a little bit off because we're just touring our last album right but thinking about and writing our next album 
and some of that's going to kind of depend. We've been working for a while um, with a film company um, for like six or seven years now on a documentary um, about us in our career and kind of all the things you and I have talked about today. Mm -hmm. And there seems to be some momentum towards that finishing or potentially becoming um, a limited series type mm -hmm. situation. And uh, we're doing a lot of negotiation and talk about that right now and trying to figure out the, the route for that. And I think the way that that goes may dictate some of these other decisions. But generally, you know, we're going to be spending the next year kind of on tour and hoping that we can get back to the level we thought we were going to be at in the summer of 2020. That's, that's the outlook. It's yeah. changed a lot since... Uh, yeah. February of 2020 when the album came out. So um, on the person on a personal level, so you you now back on tour and you're going to be touring a lot as you just described. But you've got you've got a young at least one young child, maybe more than that. You're just I have two. I've got uh, Emmy Lou who's five who just started kindergarten last week um, in Atlanta, and then I've got Bowie who's two. And you're touring and you're gone. That's got to be interesting, especially after being home for a year and a half. That's just got to be a, a just kind of a shock to the system for the family and for yourself. Yeah, I mean, right now, you know, this is going to be the fifth night in a row that we're playing right now, and this will be the longest that I've been out, and the longest that I'll have to be out until next summer. I've got another five night run this this year, but um, in a couple of weeks, but you know, not on the level that I was. And when I was doing it before, Emmy Lou was so young, I'm not sure that she totally remembers what it was like when Daddy was gone all the time. So. Yeah. It's, it's definitely an adjustment to the family rhythm. Like we hit a totally different family rhythm when I was home for 200 days in a row. Right. So uh, we're figuring that out, but it seems to be going okay so far. Cool. So um, I know you've got some time constraints. You've got a call for a show tonight, so I want to make sure that we're sensitive to that. But I've got just some, some random things, three questions that I'm asking all the guests on the pod. So just going to bounce them past you. Um, first one, is there any recent movie, show, documentary, something you've seen or binge watched that you recommend to the people who are listening? Oh, man, I feel like over the pandemic, I binge watched just about everything. I really like The White Lotus right now on HBO. It's a really funny and interesting look at uh, privilege and the way it affects people's approach to their lives. It's uh, set in Hawaii. It's got incredible music and the way the music uh, feeds the tension between the characters in the show is awesome. It's really intelligently written, great acting, really good cast. Um, the Woodstock 99 documentary was pretty eye-opening. Uh, if you haven't seen that, I haven't. It was it was, <laughs> wow, man, it was wild. I remember how excited I was they were doing a Woodstock because I was, uh, you know, in college, maybe a junior in college. And I was like, ooh, I'm going to go to Woodstock. And then the lineup came out and it was Limp Biscuit and Corn and Metallica. And I was like, I'm not going to Woodstock. <laughs> and then, um, seeing the documentary, I'm really glad I didn't go. Uh, and even more interesting because my friend Robbie Dupree uh, lives in Woodstock and he knows the guys that put on the festival and his added perspective to the history of, of the festival. Uh, that was just a whole interesting thing for me. So those are my two most recent things. Cool. How about a, a book or a, or a favorite podcast, ignoring this one, that you might have something you might have read recently or something you listened to that uh, you think people might find interesting? 
Um, man, books. I've read a lot of good books lately. Uh, the Adventures of Cavalier and Clay is an incredible book by Michael Chabon that's about these uh, two cousins who are comic book writers. Uh, it's all it's totally fictional, but the uh, his the way that he writes about the creative process as someone who is creative and and you know writes songs, it was so spot on to the way that stream of consciousness and your own life leaks into your creativity in ways that aren't totally obvious the way that he wrote about that and encapsulated it in the book i mean the book's not new it's maybe 10 years old but man that book wow just super highly recommend that cool and then the last one this one's a tough one to ask because you're the uh you're the first artist, musical artist that I've had on here. But so, is there a current song or artist you've got on repeat, or somebody that you just or, or you just can't get out of your head these days? Man, the album that really got me recently was uh, "Call Me If You Get Lost" by Tyler the Creator. That guy is just an incredible artist. His attention to detail and his ability to kind of hop between genres. Um, Man, he is so, so impressive. It feels like he took the best of my favorite hip hop, which is like the Outcast Tribe Called Quest kind of vibe and updated it with with some modern music and some trap. And, and the guy is just, he's really something else. In terms of music that's more like what I do, my favorite current artist is Tame Impala who I'm going to see when they come to Atlanta in a few weeks. Um, his last album was pretty Yacht Rocky, honestly, if you listen to it. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's psychedelic rock, and obviously it's modern, but it's got a lot of, you know, of that Milky Fender Rhodes piano and kungas and pretty smooth vibes. So if you're looking for something new that is like a cross between Hall & Oates and Pink Floyd, I would recommend Tim and Paul. <laughs> That's that's an interesting uh, combination. So um, I don't have much more for you, um, unless there's anything you want to get across to the listeners. I know we we talked about how to how to reach out to their representatives about the uh, restaurant act, but is there anything else you want to get across before you run off and go perform to another sold out live crowd? Um, no, just come get smooth with us and, and support, uh, live music whenever you can. Cause, uh, we all want to come back safely. So appreciate you being out there with us. Thank you so much, Nick. I really appreciate you being on with me. My pleasure, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Margarita, you make a good margarita. Whoa, and we'll have fun tonight when life gives you.
listening to today's episode of The Narrative. Your feedback is always welcomed, as are your shares and, of course, your reviews. Please subscribe and review The Narrative on your podcast platform of choice, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts.